Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is an ABC podcast. Hi, it's Emma here from the Outer Sanctum. Just um, a little warning for our big ears and little ears who are listening. This podcast does contain the voices of people who can't say the word tribunal. There is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It's so lovely to be back here. I am your host, Emma Race, and I am joined by three of my Sanctum football-loving sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Well, hello. It is Lucy Race here. Well, hello, Lucy Race. It's Kate Sear here. (laughs) And off the bench again, it's Tess Armstrong, <laughs> the voice of God. Tess Armstrong, who we also call Teddy, and you can too. Mm. Get or on. Ted, Ted Wood Scissorhands. <laughs> Ted Wood Scissorhands, because she edits the show such with such skills. precision and then gives us a haircut. We've got so much exciting stuff. I have been in New Zealand for the last week. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that because I've been posting, showing, offing photos. Um, what I didn't post was the picture of us coming home to a blackout last night because that just would have been a photo of nothing. Um, so, so that's one way to get you back to earth. But I've missed some stuff. Like I've been trying – in New Zealand, they do actually show the games. But um, I need you guys to get me up to speed on some stuff that's been happening in the AFL-M. Of course, I've been all over the AFLW because, I mean, trade week. I get loved ones. <laughs> I said it was going to be brutal. It has been brutal. We're going to talk about that. We're actually going to catch up with Peggy O'Neill, who has been at the hub of Tigerland, has been all the conversation about AFLW trade period with their recent Katie Brennan news. But other things that are coming up in this episode of the podcast, we're so excited. We've got two new segments. One thing we're going to be doing is catching up with people who are going to talk about the expansion club. So Peggy O'Neill today. Looking down the track, we will be catching up with West Coast, the Gold Coast Suns and St Kilda. St Kilda. <laughs> but so that's one of a new series of things we'll be doing to prepare everyone for AFLW 2020. And the other thing this week that we're doing is a new little segment, Skyburn Around the Grounds, but it's talking to people who are in the outer where football has been inspiring their lives. They might be a mascot which is my favourite thing, you know it. They might be a fan doing something spectacular like today's guest. But first, to bring it back for 2019. (laughs) Bring it on back, bring it on back. It is time to take the rappers off commentary watch for 2019. Mm. The pod edition, Dr Cathy. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed on two things on the weekend that I just wanted to flag. In one of the games, there was a team that was having a picnic back in defence. Oh, delicious. Ooh. Which, I know, yeah. <laughs> traditional I, food or something like I sushi. I did want to know what kind of cheeses were on offer, whether they had a brie, a camembert. <laughs> but my other commentary watch, this is very straightforward. I just wanted to offer my congratulations to Ben Brown. 
BT told us on the weekend had marked the ball at the highest possible point. Yes. Ooh. And then he always does mark it. <laughs> of all the players, he marks it exactly. at the highest possible, possible point, point most often. <laughs> Which I found quite extraordinary because I assume that the highest, you know, the highest possible point that you could mark something is infinity. In infinity. Yeah. Exactly. And Ben Brown marked it there. Our own Felicity race yes, yes. had a really interesting observation about Ben Brown. Why does he not need to bounce it in his run-up. <laughs> I did go down a rabbit hole on did this. You? Yeah, I went and read the rules. What, does, what do the rules say? <laughs> oh my. I want to get somebody from the AFL on here because I actually think the commentators have talked about this before. My understanding of things is that he should be pinged. But so say <laughs> if he's going back for goal, yes, the time is on, but they can't tackle him until the time has run down or he's crossed the mark. So potentially, yes, you could have someone like lined up on the side to come in and tackle him if he takes too long or goes too far. The issue, though, is that he sets up like more than 15 metres mm. back from the mm. mark. But it, and, and if he can't get to the mark in 30 seconds, then then he's in trouble. <laughs> but you yeah. can't ever travel more but than 15 metres without a bounce. No, That's right. Ever. So it's like That's rule, rule 15 point something, something, something. But yeah. I think there'd be an asterisk because there's you're in not, a... Oh, there's, there's not. There's not. And so this is why I think he should be pinged unless there's something I've missed. I know that they've been busy at AFL House um, <laughs> defending a lot of the umpiring decisions. I mean, Landing this on their doorstep this week is <laughs> not going to be a very fa- – I mean, it's huge. Well, Mr. P – It could P, change the game. Mr. P, Mr. can P, you just remind us who yes. Mr. P is? Yeah, in case our listeners have forgotten. So you might remember years ago you used to have the match review panel and then it was changed to the match review officer, who these days is Michael Christian. And so we decided just to call him Mr. P – MRP. MRP. Mr. P. P. Even though now we he's really Mr. O. Him Mr. O. But there's also, it struck us this morning, didn't it, Tess, that we also now have Mr. T. So I um, have to confess, and Lucy will back me up, I can't say tribunal rule. Tribunal. <laughs> uh, Lucy can't say it either. Tribunal. 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 I feel personally attacked. So I'm going to try and bring in that we call the tribunal. Tribunal, <laughs> Mr. T's office. So it goes from Mr. P's office to Mr. T's office. I love talking about Mr. T. I love Tuesday night at Mr. T's house. I think it's awesome. Can and we so, call it tea time? Yeah, that's This always. is just to avoid the fact that you two can't say tribunal. But sure, like tea let's time. move on. Okay. Was there an omen watch this week? I can't believe people missed it. So you'll know <laughs> last week Damien Hardwick had to send Justin Lepich in to do his media work because he had had some dental work done and was finding it difficult to speak. There is a tiger who is at the Melbourne Zoo, a Sumatran <laughs> tiger named Hutan. Of course now, there is. Now, Hutan also had to see the dentist. Oh, my God. And Have Hutan, you ever seen them in the same room at the same time? Hutan required two root canals and three extractions. Oh, so it would have been, you know, pretty sore tiger. And I don't think that tiger would have been turning up for his media commitments either. <laughs> There was another omen this week, week which you picked up, Emma, race. Oh, um, no, I stole it from Swamp, Sir Swamp. Sir Swamp thing then. Hawthorne's first three games of the year, they've scored 87 points in each of those three mm. games. Um, I, of course, w- w- you know, you will remember that Hawthorne made the grand final in 1987 and were pumped by Carlton. <laughs> so that's a good omen for Carlton for the AFL-M. Lucy Race, what caught your eye this week? 
I guess the comments around Katie Brennan's departure from the Western Bulldogs, and to be honest, I've been shocked by some of those comments and kind of some of the personal stuff about player movement. I understand it is really, really hard to lose a favourite player, but I kind of feel like the attitude should be a little bit more like smile because it happened. When you think about the Bulldogs, so they've been a foundation club, they've been part of the exhibition games, they've had three seasons, they've won a premiership. So there's been lots of great stuff to celebrate. But the reality of the competition is that it is going to change markedly from season to season. When we bring in new clubs, there is going to be change. That's going to mean player movement. So I don't know what people would prefer, that you either just keep the competition small or look forward to what opportunities it brings to see the next person that gets to run around in your jumper. The players have tiers of their player payments are locked in and that's the same no matter what club you're at. There is a facility for clubs to have ASAs, which is like an ambassadorial position for some players. So some things that clubs are going to be able to offer is there's going to be a difference there, but there are a lot of factors that will go into why a player would move. And so when I hear people complaining about players moving and telling them that they're, oh, you know, you're just following the money and those sorts of things, it it comes across as quite bitter. Off the back of last week, when we were talking about 53,034 people at Adelaide Oval. And the community And the community Mm. and the spirit. I'd really like us to remember just a bit of that generosity and kindness. And I guess also understanding Katie Brennan and other players who are going to move are real people with other ambitions and other things going on in in their lives that we might not know about. Mm. Let's just park the personal stuff. If you say that she's following the money, then you don't understand the competition. That is laughable. One thing to consider is if it makes it easier for her to still do her full-time job and get to punt road Mm. for training as opposed – and I don't know if this is one of the reasons. Richmond is an unbelievably proud club. Imagine getting the opportunity to Mm. wear that jumper. What an amazing opportunity, right? They're going to sign someone. That's the reality. These people have other lives and other jobs. If it makes, if it's closer to home or if it's yeah. closer to work, then there's not enough money in this for them to not to take these options, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought the same thing seeing all of those comments during the week. And I thought, gee, you know, people don't know what kind of money is involved. Because what we know is that in the first three seasons of AFLW, the, these women have made enormous sacrifices, yeah. unpaid leave from their jobs for eight weeks, or they've used up all their sick leave and their annual leave and their long service sleeve or whatever's available to them, a lot of the players have been paid eight or $10,000. I think probably the majority of players have received eight or $10,000, which is not a huge amount of money in the scheme of things. So we can't actually require players to, to stay with a club, mm. even if we wanted to. Like everybody else, like all of us, and you think about yourselves at home, we take for granted the fact that as employees, we, we can choose to resign from a job if we want and go and work somewhere else. Football players are no different. We just impose upon them a whole, I think, sort of irrational feelings and emotions because of what they mean to us or what their association with our jumper. There was an interesting comment that one news person said, which was that because of the Katie Brennan situation, there's an issue with loyalty in the in the women's game, in particularly in the women's game. And I thought, hang on, I get sad when players leave my team. I was so sad when Brett Delidio left Richmond, right, to, to play for the Giants. But I understood why he did that. The Gold Coast Suns lost both their captains, actually, in the off-season, Tom Lynch and 
and Stephen May, the conversation was always how good that would be for their football. So they weren't happy at the Gold Coast Suns. Good for Tom Lynch. He gets to go to Mel- Richmond. Good for Stephen May. He gets to go to Melbourne. Tom Rockliffe, he gets to go and Buddy play Franklin. For Buddy Franklin. Oh, don't Gary Ablett. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this any different in the women's game? No. It's not. It's just the nature of this game and it is one of those complex feelings that we get where our emotions get in the way of how we deal mm. with things rationally because we don't see this as employment when it is. And one-year contracts works both ways. It's, yeah. it's yeah. really hard to have a conversation about loyalty and, and also hold the idea of one-year contracts in your mind. It also is worth us noting that Mo Hope was delisted by North Melbourne during mm-hmm. the week. Who knows whether Mo will get another opportunity or yes. not. That might be the end of her career. And like many other players, she has sacrificed an enormous amount to get here. One-year contracts, as you say, Lucy, have been the norm up until now. And so those players are also extremely vulnerable. When we have these new clubs coming into the AFLW, we actually want there to be some experienced footballers as part of that Mm -hmm. list. The IP, say for instance, that Katie Brennan's going to bring to Richmond is going to set it on a path for being competitive. And that's what we want for the competition. We don't want to see a huge disparity between clubs um, that have, say, been in the system and clubs that are new in terms of how they actually play on field. We want we want there to be some equalisation, I guess. Because I know there will be a lot of Western Bulldogs listeners and Brisbane Lions listeners who feel mm. sad. Mm. But, you know, it doesn't mean that prospects next year are down. And, and no. Buddy is the perfect example. You know, mm. Buddy left Hawthorne and... We survived that. <laughs> we survived that. We won <laughs> We're still we here. Yeah. Absolutely love, love him. him. He's my favourite player to watch. But Hawthorne, you know, achieved the three-peat during and after Buddy's mm. departure from that club. Tess, what caught your eye this week? Emma, I know you haven't had your eye on the Herald Sun every day while you've been away. It was a holiday, let me tell you. But I can assure you there's been one person on the back page of the Herald Sun every single day for, I reckon, about two and a half weeks, and that is Dustin Martin. And it's actually just caught my eye in the last couple of months, and actually last year, Mr P. He has a kind of list of things that he has to look at every incident, and he checks it off the list. The club's challenge, they go to the tribunal, and they never come up with the same decision. And I just find that interesting because I, I suppose it, it works well that the tribunal acts as a, as a different arm. But I do wonder what, what message it sends. And Dustin's is very serious, but we're getting mixed messages. What do you think? Am I being too biased? Firstly, no, I... yes, you are. <laughs> but secondly, I feel like off the ball, I just feel like that is such a clear yes. rule. If, if something happens off the ball... Yeah. And it's that far off the ball. And put a meter on it. Like put a put a yeah. measurement on it. But anything that happens that far off the ball, I think is completely not okay. The the issue is that as you're saying though, Tess, this is kind of like a it's kind of like a matrix. You essentially grade the incident. Mr. T, the tribunal is not is not agreeing with the way that that matrix is being interpreted mm. or, or imposed. What to me was most interesting about the Dustin Martin incident was that Kennedy gave evidence. Yeah. Um, and Kennedy in giving evidence said, I didn't even really feel it. It didn't It didn't hurt when he made contact with me. It's not a big deal. One of the reasons why we have the existing matrix system is because opponents used to give evidence at the tribunal back in the day and often would say things that would be supportive mm-hmm. of their mm. opponents to, to help them mm-hmm. get off. They wanted explicitly to move away from that system and now mm. it seems to me like that's creeping Coming back, back in. in. Creeping yeah. back um, in. I think there's just an issue with consistency in mm. what an average fan thinks that is going to happen. Mm. Well, uh, And also too, in like in law, law, for example, if the Supreme Court was, or the Supreme Court of Appeal, was overturning every, de- every decision that had been made by a lower court, yes. serious questions would be asked yeah. about the law and politicians would probably go, well, cut out the middleman. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's some problem here, we need to rework mm. the legislation. Yeah. I, and I fully agree with that. 
there being a check and balance. But mm. there's a problem if the check and balance on every occasion yeah. is every finding a flaw in the original decision. Yeah. Katie, what was the story that caught your eye this week? Well, I wanted to tell a story. I went into one of the AFL stores recently. I was buying things for three different people, but two of them were women. So I was looking for women's merchandise. And I went into the store and the first thing that I noticed was that they had socks for various teams. Unisex ones? They had, well... <laughs> The women's ones were more expensive. (laughs) The women's ones were pink. They had kids' socks and men's socks. Then I went to the beanies section. Again, two options in the beanies, kids and men's. And I tried on both and neither of them was quite right on my head. And I think I've probably got a normal-sized head for a woman. I went onto the AFL website and there are more options on the AFL website. I've been into more than one AFL store, by the way, now, and I find the same thing. On the AFL website, there's a much wider range. There are women's t-shirts that are cut for women, women's hoodies, etc., etc. And in the women's range, we do have aprons. There's a no. there's an apron for women. Well, now I'm not criticising women who wear aprons or want aprons. I have an apron. But it did seem to me a little old-fashioned that I couldn't get socks or beanies or various other things in my size and cut, but I could get an apron if Were I wanted one. Were the aprons labelled as kids or men's? Women's. Just no. women's. Just so there women's. weren't men's aprons. I just eye-rolled so men, hard that my men. eye fell out of my ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's unfair on the men. I mean, what's your husband going to wear when he's cooking your dinner, Lucy? Exactly. <laughs> we then got an email from a listener called Amanda. She went to an Essendon AFL-M match recently and they had one of the Essendon had one of their little stalls selling their merchandise on game day and she went up to them and asked if she could buy a women's top and she was told by the person on the stall oh we only brought men's sizes along today and suggested that she go to the real store they said that's at Tullamarine back at our headquarters <laughs> um, and as she pointed out to me I wasn't going to have time to get there and back in in time for the game. So that was the end of that. She then contacted Essendon to ask them Mm. why there was no women's merchandise available. And um, as of today, she tells me she still has had no response. It's been a couple of weeks. And I'll quote here. She said, I'm a 10 plus year member. High mark, highest level for the last seven years. And I'm just so disappointed. I've swung back and forwards between thinking I'm being petty to blind rage. But if something as simple as this can really have an impact on a rational 37-year-old, imagine the message this sends to all those up-and-coming girls we're trying so freaking hard to engage if we can't find merchandise. I have one other little thought on merch, which is an idea that has been brewing for the past few weeks, is a line of headbands and wristbands that look like they're made out of elastoplast. (laughs) So that if you're a fan of Ben Ben McAvoy, McAvoy. you can just go and get one. So he actually started the game with his head taped last week. And then when I was thinking about it, like, you know, sweatbands, they look like tape. You could put them around your wrist and you could have them personalised with your little message. Like Like Dan Rioli wristbands. Yeah. Run Chase. Love it. Can I just give a shout out to to a friend of mine's daughter? I recently heard that Olive, who's about four, when she's asked by her dad and her mum who is her favourite player, she says it's Big Boy and McAvoy, (laughs) which she thinks are two separate people yep. and she can't point out which one on the field they are. Even though she, she will in time because he's, he is very prominent with the He's the playing so well. But when I see him now, I think, oh, that's Big Boy and McAvoy. My son thought Alistair Clarkson's name was Alice. Alison de Clarkson. First female coach in the AFLM. <laughs> I'm Darcy Vessio and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum Podcast. 
to say it's been a big week at Tigerland seems almost to be an understatement. We thought we'd go straight to the source and we welcome the President, Peggy O'Neill, to the Outer Sanctum. How are you, Peggy? I'm fine. How are you today? Well, we're very pleased to have you in the house. It's been a big week. Now, we're going to give you the option. Would you like to talk about AFL-M first or AFL-W first? Oh, AFLW. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've seen a massive signing this week with Katie Brennan. We knew that it was going to be a brutal trade period for a lot of the clubs, but for Richmond it's been a huge celebratory signing. How did it all come about? Well, I think somebody talked to somebody and somebody <laughs> talked to somebody else, the way those things usually happen. And, um, you know, we're very excited. The whole history-making, having a women's AFL team is something that we've been waiting for for a while to get someone of the caliber of Katie Brennan as our first uh, signing. And so, as I said, our cornerstone for our team was really important and and we're delighted to have her there and she seems very excited to, to be with us. But you're right, it is sort of, it is brutal as expansion teams come in so quickly and people like Katie who have been figureheads at clubs are leaving and are being... Um, asked to consider going somewhere else or want to further their career somewhere else or for all sorts of reasons, the same reasons that lots of people want to change jobs. But we appreciate that somebody's heart gets broken along the way and, and some people are jumping with joy like, like we are right now as we, as we form our first team. And so the reason they had one-year contracts is to provide that flexibility to populate new clubs. So, um, so we're delighted to have Katie and, and uh, hope to have a few more announcements in coming days. I should just paint the picture for you that, uh, of course, Tiger Tess is dancing <laughs> in the studio. She's she's well happy. Felicity's taken the day off being a bulldog. <laughs> Peggy, it's Kate here. So you mentioned that this is the first big signing for the Richmond team, but that you've got more announcements to come in the days to come, so we're going to keep an eye on that. But can you tell us about more broadly the, the work that the club is doing at the moment to build this inaugural historic Richmond AFLW team? Well, we're sort of building on the experience that we've had with having a VFL W team that has helped us understand what it takes to put elite athletes on on the ground, not just on the men's side of things. So we wanted to have equal facilities. We wanted to have the, the culture that we're trying to build at Richmond across the entire club be part of what we build. We didn't want this to be an add-on. Frankly, watching the experience, good and bad, as to how clubs already in that competition have have done it, has informed us as to about what we want to do. doesn't mean we get it all right the first time. We're not perfect. What we're trying to do is have a fully integrated, you know, one club, five teams counting our wheelchair team. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for players that appreciate what we're trying to do and who want to be part of that. Peggy, it's Lucy here. Um, I know back in 2014, Richmond launched a gender equity project. How's that prepared you for bringing women's football in to Richmond? It's made us alive to the issue of women fully participating in this game, not only as players, but in, in leadership roles as well. So we were quite excited and, as you know, applied for an inaugural license, which we didn't receive. But we thought that we were a place that was uh, quite open and embracing and wanted more women to be at the football club. I think that showed our, our intention. We wanted to continue our work on making it a place that women are welcome. 
And what was on offer then was to set up a, an AFL women's team. And we wanted to be part of that. And that didn't come to pass, but we are now. And so we're even more ready than we were <laughs> in the inaugural season. But I think that showed before there was ever uh, a women's elite competition that we wanted to make women welcome in all, in all capacities at our club. We've seen that you have signed on to be the president for a third term at Tigerland, so lucky them. But my question to you is, um, being the only female president of an AFL club, do you find that you have to that you get asked to speak for all women? Oh, I think whenever there's one woman in an otherwise you know male-dominated field of any kind, you're considered to be representative of all women. Uh, and we know that isn't true. <laughs> the great variety of women and the great opinions of, uh, across the board uh, are as diverse as, as for men and for any other part of the population. I do find a bit of that. But then I think if I'm asked to speak and they want to know what women think, I'm not all women, but I am a woman. <laughs> and I think this is an opportunity if, if an organization is trying to learn or or wants me to come and speak where women haven't spoken before. I think, well, I might as well give it a go because it may not come around again, and, and there isn't any other woman in this, <laughs> in this particular group to do that. But I think any woman who's been a first or an only finds themselves in sometimes the sort of stressful position of your views sort of make or break other women's chances to do something because they do think that you represent all women. Early days, I thought there was a bit of pressure, but now I just see it as an opportunity that it's also a chance for ad- to advocate for more women to come into this role. Peggy, before we talk about the AFLM, and I probably will uh, sit out of that conversation because I'm a bit <laughs> sad, with the AFLW memberships, I know that we've already got a lot of people signed up. How are we going to fit them all into Punt Road on round one next year? <laughs> uh, there's a will, there's a way. Um, <laughs> there, there are limitations on how many people we can fit in right now. Our redevelopment, our our grand design comes to fruition in the next uh, few years, we will be able to fit 8,000 people into Punt Road. Uh, so that gives us a few more people to fit in, but we're hoping that our um, membership for VFL, VFL Women's and AFL Women's goes beyond 8,000. <laughs> and of course, if you're a Richmond member, you can go to the VFL Games uh, as part of that membership. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Mm. We weren't part of the lockout at Icon Park, and we aren't that big, but it would be <laughs> nice to think that uh, we we have a home game uh, early in 2020 and that it's a lockout at Punt Road. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me either. Super exciting, Peggy. Let's change tack a bit and, and talk about the AFLM. It's been a difficult first few weeks of the season for Richmond in that respect. What's the mood like at the club when things are a bit down? Well, I spent a bit of time there yesterday with you know Katie's announcement and, and it's a very buoyant sort of atmosphere actually it's there are things to work on but this is a group of people are very competitive and like to have things to work on now of course we're very saddened that we have some players who are injured and won't be back for a while some sooner and some longer term and we just miss them as people being out there and seeing the great things that they do but as everyone says it's an opportunity for someone else and Trent and Jack and Alex weren't as good as they were with when they were young. So we got to, to bring along those next group of people who are going to take their places as they come to in the next few years, we don't know how long, um, to the end of their careers. This will be an up and down start to the season, and we know that. But at the same time, there's some things that can be fixed pretty quickly. There's some things longer term. So it's a, pre, it's a 
pretty upbeat mood, frankly, and it's three weeks into the season. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes when I listen to things, I think, well, we don't have to play the season because they've already determined who's going to win the flag. (laughs) We we can all just skip to 2020. Go straight to Noosa. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So uh, I don't want to um, sort of underplay how much concern we have for those injured players. But at the same time, nobody's thinking that um, this is something that other clubs have had to deal with for off and on. We've had a pretty charmed existence on long-term injuries and you have to work your way through it. Peggy, I know Dustin Martin's been in the news a lot this week and we're not going to ask lots of stuff about the tribunal mostly because we can't pronounce it and because (laughs) we tend to ask different questions here. But I'm wondering, you know, we often, we don't often see players as full human beings. And I'm wondering, you have a good friendship with Dusty, and I'm wondering, is there something that you could tell us about him that would surprise people to learn? No, I I think people would be surprised given the sort of persona and the uh, he doesn't give a lot of himself to the media. But I think people were a bit surprised when they read in a recent Fairfax publication where he was quite open about his struggles with anxiety and and worry about last year. And I think that despite sort of tough guy facade, he is someone who gives a lot. He loves working with the Indigenous kids at uh, at Punt Road who come through. He's a pretty caring person, Mm -hmm. but he's not a very public person, as Mm -hmm. we all know. Um, So I think he has all the same sort of concerns about life that all of us have. And uh, I think he's been pretty public and I think quite helpful to lots lots of young men that, um, you know, I need help to do this. Uh, And I put up my hand and you can too. Peggy, it's Kate again. You were telling me the other day about all of those people who wrote into the club after or in the wake of the 2017 Premiership, family members of people who had been lifelong Richmond supporters who had passed away in the wake of the Premiership, reached out to the club to let you and other people know in the club what it had meant to them. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Do you feel comfortable talking about that? The Premiership was maybe a particular you know, milestone in a lot of Richmond supporters' lives. Ever since I became president at the end of 2013, I've been amazed at how many families contact the club when someone in their family, a long-term Richmond supporter, has died. I started thinking about that, and some of the stories are very touching and some are heartbreaking, and, and I thought, why is the club so integral and why with all the sadness that goes with losing a loved one why do they think that they want the club to know and i started trying to analyze it in my you know i guess layman's way of doing it is that some of their happiest moments were probably all going to the football together as a family and that was part of how they connected as a family so the joy and and the disappointment but if you're in it together it's sort of the lows aren't so low and the highs are even greater. With the grand final, I think there was probably even more of an emphasis on the club and we stuck with you for a long time and here we won. And that was one of the happiest memories of, of my family members' life. And then they died right after the grand final or they were ill during the grand final and that made them happy. So I, I think it's just a representation of the place that, that footy clubs occupy in lots of members' lives in times where where people have lost, I guess, a bit of trust in a lot of public institutions. Footy clubs are often substituted for what used to be a gathering place. Um, I'm always 
honored and privileged and touched when I get those letters. And I know the club is too, that in that time of sadness that we can make it a little bit better or we want to know how much it meant to people. Peggy, just to follow up on that, I know that you personally are well known around, not just by the members of club, the, the Richmond Club, but people who follow football more generally and especially people in and around the Richmond area. Do you get accosted sometimes by fans who come come up to you and, and thank you for what you've done? I do. I do. <laughs> and I feel I feel sort of fraudulent because I didn't I didn't I didn't I don't play. <laughs> I don't make wins happen. But at the same time I think I'm, as you mentioned earlier, a representative of the club and the what they love and it's not me, it's that the club has made them happy. I am someone that can tell about that. That can take it back. Mm. And in happy days, it's really always very pleasant. <laughs> and in those bad days, I think, uh, okay, just you're, you're just there and listen to what people have to say. If you're a member of the club, everybody has the right to tell me what they think. I'll listen to it. But I'm still surprised that people know who I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Isn't it true, though, Peggy, that there's a whole series of children and, and cats named after you now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to get some mail about um, about children. <laughs> and um, I, I was coming back from a, a game on the um, on the train. We were playing down at Marvel, Eddie had at the time, and a family came over and said they named their cat after me. So I was quite, <laughs> I was quite touched. Those funny little things happen along, and then you think again. I'm I'm surprised anybody uh, notices who I am because I don't do anything on the ground. But um, but I like the fact that people want to tell me what they've done and that that I, as a representative of the club, that it means something to them. Peggy, thank you so much for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. We're thrilled that Richmond will have an AFLW team next year because it's just going to bring, you've got 100,000 plus members. That cat's probably a member, actually. And we can't <laughs> wait to see them all packing out punt road. So thanks for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you. That was so great to speak to Peggy. There's another big signing that we've been talking about. Um, Sabrina Frederick-Traub keeps getting linked <laughs> to um, the Tigers, which um, creates, as Lucy has pointed out to me, Lu- Lucy and Tess can't say tribunal. But one thing that I can't do is I don't know the difference between lions and tigers. <laughs> and so if Sabs goes to the Tigers, it's kind of perfect for me. I'll be like, there's no change. <laughs> it's just a big cat. It's just one big she cat after one another. So last week uh, we actually went along to Tigerland. Sam Lane was recently awarded a quill, which is an amazing honour um, for her book Raw, which was an extraordinary an anthology, really, of how AFLW happened. And as part of that, she spoke to Debbie Lee and Sam Moston and Jam Cooper, who've all been such pioneers of this game for so many years. And they had a little forum and they talked about uh, where the game was, where the AFLW was and where it was going. And it made me think about what you would do differently. And Peggy just said then, you know, that it's really informed her and the Richmond Footy Club, they're kind of roadmap going forward with their AFLW team. And I have been thinking about this. If you had a DeLorean, what you would do differently mm-hmm. if you could that go really back in time. That really ages us, that reference, by the way. It does, but I'm sure, I'm sure those Google in that, that time machine. If you're gonna, <laughs> looking back, back to 2017, what would you have done differently? Because I have often thought that one thing that could have been done is that if every AFL club 
had a women's team and at before every men's game you just saw women running around and playing. It was a competition, but it was really an exhibition competition. It just was a development competition, you know, for three years or five years, not only as an education piece for the punters, but also as a way to get people interested in expanding the game. And perhaps zones would have helped. I think, you know, if, if we'd had a zoning situation where clubs did have to put back into their local area and, and they were that was the talent that you could procure but you could also work on developing. I think that might have really helped. I know it would have been a slower way. It wouldn't have happened so fast, but I think it would have been a, a slower education process so there maybe wouldn't have been so many teething issues, do you think? Yeah, I guess I would have liked that if that had happened 15 years ago. Oh, it would have been awesome 15 years ago, absolutely. You know, to, to have that because I, I do think pushing the launch date forward and just building it, pushed it much faster than that kind of approach would have. Yeah. I like the idea that basically as soon as a club is is ready to enter the competition, they should be allowed to enter it. Mm. I believe that that's the way that we're going to get more buy-in. People want to support their club. The only thing I would do if you went back in time is we know that the AFL brought this competition forward, right? They were originally planning for 2020. That's fine. But when you decide to bring it forward, it doesn't mean that, that you don't have to have a 10-year plan or if even a five-year vision. This is exactly what we're going to do for five years. This is exactly the date it's going to start. We don't care if it goes up against the Australian Open. Who cares? This is what we're going to do and that's how it's going to grow. Interestingly enough that you should bring that up, you know I've been banging on about a plan as well and this was one one of the things that was raised um, in the Richmond boardroom last week, Sam Lane was speaking to Jan Cooper and um, this is what she had to say. Well, I think the first thing is I've not heard or seen a vision articulated for AFLW, so that would be the first thing I would work on is what is it? And part of that to me is there's so many teams at each of the clubs now. Some clubs have four teams, some have three, some have two. Rather than putting a very minor soft cap against the women's team, could we not just lump it together and make a soft cap for a club based on how many teams they have and leave it to the club's discretion to actually divvy that up? So then you'd soon find pretty quickly who are the authentic clubs, who are the ones that are truly integrated their women's team, who's truly inclusive. Another big question in the Richmond boardroom was about fixturing. This is what Debbie Lee and Jan Cooper had to say about fixturing. Uh, I would say bring the season forward. We start at the moment, uh, we kick off the season at the end of the Australian Open and that has always been the conversations that I've had has been we can't go up against it. I'd like to flip that thinking and go let's go up against it but let's be smart about it. You go watch the tennis during the day, let's put a twilight game on. I think there's a responsibility to have more games if we're going to have more teams. I think the season needs to be um, brought forward. And the conference system for me, Jen, I've got a little bit of a different view on that. We are an elite competition and I feel that this year we didn't see the best teams in the competition play at finals. So whether there's an opportunity to have a conference system with one latter, but also equally, I think it's about who's playing who. Because there's so much player movement so the challenge we've got right now is how do we continue to grow a competition to ensure 53,000 still come up, to ensure our commercial partnerships are still locked and loaded and people want to turn on the TVs. Well, I wouldn't play AFLX. I mean, for goodness sake, take it overseas, put it on rugby pitches and soccer grounds and let's get rid of it. And the amount of money that goes into it, I know that's driven by television, but it disrespects the product that it's slammed in the middle of 
and to do it season number two was a, a travesty. AFLW was trying to consolidate, throwing a longer season in there, so I'll put that out there now, and you can see I'm quite upset and passionate about that. I'm the opposite view to, to Deb. Currently, I think over the next two years, we still have to stick to the conference system because our players are not fully professional. If we keep dragging them away from study and work, they're not developing off the grass what they need to develop and they haven't got enough of an income at AFLW yet to actually do that. If you stick it in, say, October, November, December, their pre-season is now clashing with every other community and male team that's on the grass, so will they get access to the facilities and the staff that they need to put them on the season? And I have no qualms living in Perth about going up against the Oz Open and I'm a tennis nut. Well, let's go up against them. Let's start it in mid-January, go through to the start of maybe State League, and then after a couple of years, review that and see how we are. So I would still stick to the conference system, and as I said before, I'd tweak it so the newbies are in one and the rest are in another, do a couple of crossovers. There needed to be some flexibility around that this year, and you didn't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to figure out that on paper there was going to be this unevenness. So keep the conference system till we can get a more professional league. And also, too, there's a layer of players across every team who aren't yet ready, even though the skill level and conditioning has gone up remarkably, there's a, a layer of girls who aren't there yet. So until we get some research that shows, can the female body sustain this incredible endurance sport that we're putting them through for more games, we don't have that data yet. When you're talking about especially great athletes from other codes, but their other codes don't have the physicality and the space of ours. So I would like to see the conference system for a couple more years, review it after that, and then move forward from there. One of the other things that, you know, when we're talking about a plan and, you know, wanting to see a five-year plan, I would also like to see a budget that matches that. I was delighted to hear Sam Mostyn, who was on the AFL Commission and who is currently a board member at the Sydney Swans, address this issue as well. I've got to be very careful here because there's nothing worse than a former anything telling the current people what to do. <laughs> so I'm a former commissioner and I'm now a current director of, a, of, a, of another club. What I'd say is what I witnessed and what I was most proud of amongst many things that we did in the 10 or 11 years I was around on the commission was we did make some really big, bold decisions um, that people thought were quite crazy. And the investment in the northern markets for the, um, the Gold Coast Suns and for the greater Western Sydney were big, monumental decisions about the future viability of Australian rules football up against all comers in the sports and entertainment field. And it was a $100 million plus investment um, against good strategic intent, but really a big wing and a prayer that once we're in those markets with the right people, that the things we hoped would happen would happen. And I, I do worry when I hear people in sort of central planning of, of this and I know, um, I know Nicole Livingston is doing a huge job to push this inside the AFL, so I give great credit to her. But the power, the decision makers around that commission table need, I think, to have the same ambition and the same degree of belief. It doesn't have to be 100 million, but it's going to be several million into this. It's going to help the club system to have to deal with the, the, the amount of money it's required and to let this thing breathe and be free. I don't think any of us on the panel were surprised by the numbers turning up on Sunday because we felt that 10 years ago. We knew about that latent interest and there's more to come, but it will require proper investment and leaving it to the clubs will be difficult. Clubs really need to get their men's teams winning premierships 
and now they need to get their women's teams wanting to earn premierships, but the money will be tight. I think more money with a long-term view um, that is about ensuring the, the future of this game. So hopefully there's a little bit more thought that goes on with the success of the season three that says this is, this is the future of football, the future of women in sport, and there's a market that's waiting for signals. The other thing the market's waiting for is leadership of the industry when things happen around it. I think calling out commentators that do poorly on how they talk about women is important. Talking to broadcasters about how you do commentary better. Kelly Underwood is here. Yes. You know, Kelly called games and was told at the time that her voice wasn't right to call footy. And I came into the men's season this year and suddenly I realised I'd missed all the women who had been calling the women's mm. season. Most of them former players mm. um, who gave us a unique insight. Shiloh mm. was there, um, there was um, Kate Sheehan. I mean, it was just brilliant. And when it came back to the men's season, we're back to an all-globe, mm. all guys who played 20 years ago. And, and they're, they're good guys. It's not their fault. <laughs> but women's voices... I was told that women's voices weren't to be heard at board tables, that we had a kind of voice that men didn't want to hear, that we raised the wrong issues. Um, you hear us described as hysterical or um, emotional or somehow um, that our voice sounds different, that our, what we, how we talk is different. That's the voice that you require if you're going to be inclusive anything. And so I want to hear Kelly Underwood's voice. I want to hear Peter Searle's voice. I want to hear Debbie Lee's voice with men on the call of our game because now we've got a group of people who've come to the men's game who've had the experience of hearing women call the women's game. So I think you know, all of our relationships with the partners that bring our game to life, don't ignore the women's voice as the commentary and as the supporters of, of everything we've talked about that's in, inside the game. That's going to drive our fans and, and, our, and secure the future of Australian women's football. I loved that panel of <laughs> Sam Austin and Jan Cooper and Debbie mm-hmm. Lee. I could have listened to it all day long. Yeah, I loved it too. I actually said to Sam that it, I likened it to having a meal in a five-star restaurant. Mm. It was very nourishing. If you want to hear the full audio of that discussion, you can do that by following Sam on any of her social media platforms, so Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, and her handle is at Sam Jane Lane. I'm Chelsea Randall and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. My name is Janie Thompson and I've written a play called Fierce and it's about a woman playing football at the highest level with the men. Why was football your muse, Jane? I've just been a fan for a very long time. I'm a Hawthorne supporter. and oh, you're um, welcome here. <laughs> I know. During the 90s. It's funny, when we Hawthorne started to go badly, I started following them. For about 10 years I was really, I became a member for a while and I was really on board and I loved the game. I fell out of love with it for a bit, but that was around sort of 2000 and then that sort of fell into also 2004 when there was a lot of stuff happening around sexual assault allegations and footballers. I've got back into it again because I just really love the game. So, yeah, it's something that I've always wanted to write about, especially on stage. I think it's really interesting because it's not it's not film at stage. You can't be on a field. You're in a theatre. So I thought that would be something really challenging. Mm. My understanding of the play is that you explore some of the issues around women's bodies and around women's safety. Are those themes that you're really interested in as well? When I thought of the idea, when I told people about it, they were all like, oh, why don't you write about the women's comp? Because that was going to be starting. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought, first and foremost, I'm a playwright. And so and I've got to kind of create conflict or some sort of tension, tension on stage. <laughs> sure, there's a lot of stuff going on in women's footy that you can write about, but what, what's going to happen between the players? 
putting a woman in with the men was just it just naturally creates that tension. It's there straight away. You don't have to manufacture anything. You can just go, well, what happens? So it's something that I'm really, I am innately interested in, but I, I kind of came to it from the idea of what, what is the tension that is created? What is the reality of the society we live in? How we negotiate our bodies and how society creates rules for us that we may not necessarily want to sort of follow or fit into. I love the sport. I think the play, I think it's very clear in the play that I love the sport, but it's very critical of some of the cultures surrounding the sport. Jane, you've mentioned things that had happened throughout the game as being the catalyst for you writing this or for this to be the launching Mm. off point. Has there been a catharsis for your relationship with football through writing? I wrote this play because of another play that was written and it was on at the MTC. I had a lot of problems with how it dealt with sexual assault and footballers and there were a lot of critics that also had mostly female critics that had problems with this play too. So I wrote it in response to that. The cathartic thing I think that I've got from this is Susie Flack, the main character, has quite an intense relationship with her coach and with her father. And I think it's made me look at my relationship with my father and also just my relationship, I think, with men and with men's stuff. And like, what's really interesting, I think, is Susie has, she has a fair amount of internalised misogyny. Potentially in my younger years, I had some of that happening. So football was of quite great importance to me because it was something that men did. And I wanted to do it too. And I wanted to break through that and play kick to kick with the guys and, you know, be as good as they were. I think I've changed a lot since then. I think it's interesting her having an internalised misogyny because she's not just like a spokesperson, like in this ultra feminist. She's a bit more complicated than that. And it is more complicated than that. And also her relationship with her father, wanting her to do well and pushing her to be the best and the drive that he has for her and just what it does to her and her relationships because, you know, she spent her whole life training, she spent her whole life keeping to herself. And so that to me was really interesting, I think, to explore a character like that. All right, let's wrap this puppy up and get out of here. Have you got any final business, Kate Sia? I have. I just wanted to give a little shout out to our listeners who have gone online on iTunes and other platforms to send us reviews. Thank you so much. If you haven't previously, we would love you to review us. We only accept five-star reviews. (laughs) Only five-star reviews. Thank you. Conditions (laughs) apply. But no, we would love you to review us because it is a way that our podcast goes up the charts and comes into awareness and it's a way that people can find us. So if you go on, please leave us a little review, glowing review about how wonderful we are and we'll be forever in your debt. <laughs> Have you got any final business, Loose Wheel? Uh, final business is a little international watch that there's actually an AFLW team in Bogota in Colombia. Did I say that right? Bogota. Mm-hmm. Bogota in Colombia. <laughs> Tribunal. <laughs> <laughs> and the they will be they're, they're actually hoping to be playing in the next international rules comp so that keep an eye out for that and shout out to Chelsea Randall who I have read is going to go play Gaelic football this oh, winter the best the best book your trip so to cool. Ireland oh my god I love that girl any final um, business from you Teddy just a shout out and a big congratulations to Majak Dor and his partner Emily who are expecting a baby and that is beautiful news. Makes me really happy. Congrats. Mm, yeah, it makes me happy too. Thanks very much for joining us today. We'll be back next week. There's only one thing left to say. Go, Go footy! footy!